welcome to the latest edition of At The Flicks, your one-stop shop for movie news, interviews and reviews. Welcome to part two of our year-end show, the one where we talk top fives. So the way this works, everyone will reveal their top five films, and at the end, I will reveal the collated at the flicks overall top seven. Last year, we received complaints that we were alphabetists by going in alphabetical order for each person to reveal their top five. So this year, we are reversing that order. I am sure there will be complaints from people who don't like that backdoor approach. It means the order for once works in my favour. Hey. And as it works in your favour, Phil, let's kick off with your top five films in reverse order. I can't wait for this. What's number five, Phil? Okay, so at number five, we have what was probably one of my most looked forward to films of the year. It's Barbie. Oh, wow. I've got all commercial. Um, And if you recall, I had an incredibly dodgy first experience of watching this in the (laughs) cinema. Yes. I've forgotten about that. Yeah, with uh, the crazy last day of school TikTok brigade. Uh, and, then, and then I went and saw it again. And I've since watched it uh, one more time. And I figured that as I've seen it more times than any other film in my top 10, it had to appear fairly highly. It's not perfect. It's not going to be considered one of the greatest scripts of all time. But I think it's incredibly funny, incredibly enjoyable. And because I know it winds Jeff up, and I do seriously believe it, Ryan Gosling is absolutely brilliant in it. I loved his Ken. I loved the songs and the choreography. And I have been known to listen to Ken's songs in my spare time. Um, I thought you were going to say dress like Ken then. (laughs) Oh, God. And I wish I'd been there when some little kids were asking their mum after the film, what's a gynecologist? <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad it made it into your top five. It didn't quite make it into mine. I think it deserved to be in someone's top five. Um, I think it was definitely one of the better films of the year. And I agree, I think Ryan Gosling stole the show, especially in the second half. I just like how an art house movie, which is essentially what it is, has become the top grossing film of the year. <laughs> if we can have some more films that make you think uh, somehow sneak into the hearts and minds of the general public, then maybe cinemas won't all be shut in the next 10 years. I think we're in a period of transition. I think the whole superhero film is definitely on decline at the moment for numerous reasons. You need something else to take its place. If it's going to be individual one-off films like this, then I think we should all celebrate it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That was your number five, your big commercial sellout, was it? Yeah, number five was my big commercial sellout. Um, and from here on in, Jeff is not going to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised he was happy with Barbie, to be honest. I surprised myself with that film. Uh, it's, it's not a vendetta, you know, it's a list. And speaking of superhero movies, in at four... <laughs> We have Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. We all know how much Jeff loved. I recall getting a text from Jeff um, saying, 
uh, that he'd watched both Spider Verse movies. I think he'd watched them the same day or in a, the same. No, on the weekend I watched one on the Saturday. I went to the cinema on on the Sunday. And, and I recall the text, Graham. You'd definitely be editing or bleeping it. <laughs> Spider Man Across Spider Verse. I loved the first film. Um, I put that as my number one film of the year that that was released. I loved this one as well, and it's been a strong year. I think this year. So the fact that this is at four is is testament to the fact that it's a strong year i mean where do i start with this so that the animation as with the other film you could freeze frame almost at any point in this film and hang that on your wall i just think that it looked fantastic and each dimension or or what are we calling the multiverse has a different feel and vibe to it I love the way that um, they all introduce themselves, saying that they're the one and only, is it the one and only true Spider-Man? I love that. I love that sort of repetition and um, kind of each one gets to tell their own story. I really enjoyed um, the charismatic Avatar, Prabhakar, who is the Indian Spider-Man. And then we had Hobie Brown, who's like the punk rock British Spider-Man. That must have cost about 3p to put that together. We'll just cut some words out of a newspaper. I think that was really complicated to do because he looked like he was popped out of a piece of paper. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Well, and and then talking of that, there was the sort of Leonardo da Vinci style drawing fight sequence at the beginning as well. That was fantastic. To be fair, that was probably the highlight of the film. I mean, Jeff should be banned at this point, right? We know know he doesn't like it. (laughs) Um, The music is fantastic. I loved the... The very opening sort of five minutes or so, I know some people talked about the sound mix in the cinema didn't work for them, but it it was brilliant for me where Spider-Gwen's playing the drums and she's kind of getting angrier and angrier as she's kind of talking about what's happening and the music's getting louder and louder and louder. I love that. Jason Schwartzman has had a fantastic year this year and he was the villain. Daniel Kaluuya was Spider-Punk. I just loved it. I, I loved the first one. I think this was such a brilliant um, second entry. Just, I've, I've almost worried for the third one. I know they said it's going to come out next year, but I don't believe that that's going to actually happen. But if they can keep this standard, this is going to be the greatest superhero trilogy that there is. Okay, what's at number three, Phil? Okay, so for number three, Graham, can we mute Jeff, please? <laughs> <laughs> Can we all guess what it is? Wes Anderson's my guess. Wes Anderson. It's Asteroid City Indeed. by Wes Anderson. You had to be in your top five somewhere. I thought it actually might be higher, but okay. Can we talk great. about Spider Man again? <laughs> so, so again, I guess everyone who listens in and, and listens to me rabbit on about Wes Anderson will probably be thinking, what on earth is number one and two if Wes Anderson is at number three? So I loved Asteroid City. I think we had a big uh, what did we call it? A heated discussion about Asteroid City when I reviewed it. Jason Schwartzman, see see what I did there. He he was in my number four film as the spot. <laughs> uh, Jason Schwartzman has had a very good year, and I thought he was brilliant in this. He's, he kind of has this sadness about him in this film, and I liked that. What the film was about really was kind of it was about grief to some extent, and about mm. just keeping going just keep going and you know things will unfold and i really liked that i liked that message i loved uh margot robbie's cameo i really thought that made the film as well so she's obviously had a good year being at number five and number three as well 
I don't know how much more I can talk about how much I love Wes Anderson. The artifice in his sort of design and setup, the way that everything is symmetrical, the pastel colours. You know, he, he threw in a little bit of animation again, which he likes to do. The actors that he has returning, you know, Edward Norton, Jeffrey Wright. We've even got some new people. So Rupert Friend joined and he was along for the uh, Roald Dahl pictures, which Jeff and I had a civil conversation about. Almost uh, civil, Phil. Almost. <laughs> I freely admit that Wes Anderson is not for everyone. Some people might consider it uh, style over substance. But for me, he just hits the mark. And this is another beautiful Wes Anderson film. Well, I can't wait to hear what number two is after this. Okay, if I'm a big Wes Anderson fanboy, I'm I'm possibly a bigger Martin Scorsese fanboy. So number two is Killers of the Flower Moon. It's a very, very long film that didn't feel like that at all for me. It absolutely flew through. I was engrossed. It was intense. And it features three absolutely fantastic performances. Lily Gladstone, Leonardo DiCaprio, and for me... The, the one that made me smile the most at the most evil person put to screen this year, surely, uh, Robert De Niro's cattle rancher who basically didn't consider these people sort of worth anything and they were just kind of like a way for him to earn money. It's a tough film, but I think it's another Scorsese classic. Personally, this is a great film. I mean, Robbie Robinson's music score is for me the music score of the year. I just don't know. Did you not think that the last part of the film, the final act, was just a bit overlong? He introduces a couple of cameos for impact that I think change up the pace a little bit. The very final segment, which I know you didn't like, the the radio play sort of segment, I thought was a really unique way to to end the film and kind of do the write-up, as it were. With the intro of uh, Brendan Fraser and... Jesse Plemons, I think that there was you know, just a little bit of difference and impetus to kind of get it over that line. A lot of people complain about sort of long films and sometimes I think that you need to, to let the characters breathe and kind of you know, really sort of live with them. And I think that the, the Irishman and Killers of the Flower Moon are examples of that. Just being a bit controversial, and we didn't pick this up in the review, When Martin Scorsese came with the project, he came with the book, and the book was looking at it from the FBI perspective. And then when he got to know the Native Americans, he changed the perspective of the film. So he's much more interested in their story, which is essentially the first two acts of the film. And I think that interest he had certainly comes in in that point. And I think he lost some interest in the latter part of the film, which concentrates more on the villains. No, I don't agree, but obviously we never do, Jeff. But, um, no, no, we don't. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, so... Right, anyway, all this build-up. Number one, Phil? So number one uh, is probably, I think, going to win Best Picture and Best Director. It is Oppenheimer. We're in a race against the Nazis. And I know what it means. If the Nazis have a bomb... have a 12-month head start. 18. How could you possibly know that? We've got one hope. All America's industrial might and scientific innovation connected here. 
secret laboratory. Keep everyone there until it's done. Uh, another long film, actually, and and also you know, so we've done shows on my love of Christopher Nolan, my love of Wes Anderson, and the upcoming later this year will be my love of Scorsese. So it's just crazy to me that all three of them have released films this year, and yeah, you know, in my opinion, all three of them have been absolutely phenomenally good. I I really enjoyed this one. I like the fact that. Christopher Nolan is able to make a summer blockbuster that is a biopic. So what do I like about this? I loved that, as usual with Nolan, he does sort of time messing around. Uh, So he's got story one, fission in colour, and story two, fusion in black and white. And both follow kind of, so one follows Oppenheimer, one follows... Lewis Strauss, which is Robert Downey Jr. I do think that he's likely to beat Ryan Gosling and Robert De Niro to Best Supporting Actor. It's unfortunate because I, I want Ken, uh, the Ken song, to be front and centre at the Oscars. Um, <laughs> um, we all need goals in life. I, <laughs> I just, I just like it. Just puts a smile on my face to think of Jeff's face. Like. <laughs> It's a summer blockbuster that doesn't have any car chases or gunfights. There's a big bang somewhere in the middle. Um, (laughs) And, yeah, I mean, it's fantastic. Killian Murphy is just awesome in it. Emily Blunt and Florence Pugh are brilliant. Uh, I actually, there was some, one of the things that Nolan is really good at is kind of having this gigantic cast and everybody getting, you know, a role and and something to do in there. So um, Benny Safdie, who's the writer director, he's had a good year as well. Have you? Has anyone seen? Um, Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. That's really good. Yeah, Benny, that's a good film. Benny Safdie, who's the writer director of Uncut, Uncut Gems, is in that and this, and he's he's a really good actor actually. Uh, Casey Affleck's in this for a scene where he's almost like. Um, uh, the Jack Nicholson scene, I think Casey, Casey Affleck is. Alden Ehrenreich's brilliant in this. Uh, and then you've got um, uh, Jason Clark's lawyer, who has the brilliant face-off with Emily Blunt. And uh, and uh, what's Matt Damon? Matt Damon's in it as well. And like, I even for, almost forget Matt Damon's in it. He's brilliant in it as well. I, I just, it's a wonderful film. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a good, it's a good film. I can't can't complain on it. I mean, after you know, Nolan's bounced back after the failure he had before it, and um, I think uh, I'm fascinated to see where he goes next. I mean, that must be one hell of a thing when he turned around and said, "Well, I want to make a a, a three hour movie about men in rooms talking." And yeah, and, and he bankrolled him. Use a hundred mil, Chris. Go off and do what you want. Uh, I wonder if it was the other way round. I wonder if they said, here's a hundred million, go and make whatever the hell you want, because they know it'll just sell. Well, there there was the politics because he left Warner Brothers over the, the, yeah, the treatment exactly. tenant, but to be fair with Warner Brothers on that. So there you get there you have it guys. Barbie, Spider Man, Asteroid City, Killers of the Flower Moon, Oppenheimer. Excellent. Some good there. ones in there, yeah. Phil. Oh. Okay, well, thank you, Phil. Okay, Neil, over to you. Well, number five, I've got Barbie. 
Um, what to say? I mean, it's dazzling, smart, very pink, clever, extremely funny. I thought it was brilliant. It's one of those event movies. I remember going to see Harry Potter, the first Harry Potter film, with my very young son dressed up in a wizard's uniform and everything. It's it's like him or you. I, I wear, I, me, obviously. The I went with um, my daughter, who insisted on obviously we had to wear something pink, and uh, it was packed. It was fun. It was it was just brilliant, and I, I it made a fortune as well. I think this one, of, if Cineworld continues going, it's the likes of that sort of film that will keep it going, and I think it deserves to be in the top five for just that. At number four, we have Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. It's it's stunningly beautiful animation. I am a fan. Um, it's worth it just for watching that. The uh, the, the story is good. Uh, the tragedy of Star- Spider Man across multiple universes. Each Spider Man has the, have their own personal tragedy, um, and it flips in and out of the universes. I'm reading through my review back in June, and it's. We don't get lost, which we couldn't say about the uh, Doctor Strange film. It felt, felt sort of um, where where the hell were we? But yeah, very well done, Lord and Miller. Take a bow. At number three, the Fablemans. Ooh. I thought this this was brilliant. Spielberg's love letter to the film industry. It's a damn good story. Spielberg's technically gifted father, an artistically gifted mother. Um, Michelle Williams and Paul Dano are superb. How often do we say that they don't put in a good performance? I don't think we have. Um, it takes the story takes a dark turn at the camping trip, and uh, it's it's like Belfast last year. We're treated to a glimpse into how. Um, one of the cinema's greats began his love affair with the filmmaking process. And as I've said before, it's a damn good story. At number two, Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, uh, the first words I wrote on this was, I'm with Phil, obviously. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's long. The first, uh, first time I've had to go out of a cinema for a comfort break. Uh, it's, it's, it's the... <laughs> DiCaprio and De Niro are superb. Lily Gladstone as Molly is magnificent. And I just such an incredibly well-observed tale of sociopathic greed. Um, and to, uh, very, very good to acknowledge the, and correct the silencing of a vast catalogue of crimes uh, committed against the Osage people. And number one, guess what I... I'm guessing here, but I'm going to agree with Graham, am I? Um, Oppenheimer. Uh, Christopher Nolan, wow. Um, If it doesn't sweep the the awards, then it's the Hollywood's doomed. Um, The tension builds. It's I don't know how it manages it. There's just a bunch of very clever middle-aged people standing in rooms talking to each other. Um, But it is absolutely brilliant. The black and white footage from the point of view of Louis Strauss, Robert Downey Jr., colour footage from the story from the viewpoint of Oppenheimer. And Matt Damon and Emily Blunt are in it. What's not to like? And Kodak developing a brand new film stock as technically, I thought as a whole thing was brilliant. And... um, and it's well set up with the t- twin story arcs before and after the bomb and from two different t- viewpoints. Absolutely fantastic film. Yeah. So you're going to be watching it again? Yes. Yes, definitely. I think I'll, I'll, I'll definitely watch all of those films again. I've watched one of them at least twice. But the um, 
technically it is fantastic i love the fact that he goes flips from black and white to color to black and white depending on whose story we're telling um i love the fact that we see the einstein and the two differing reviews on what the conversation was i like the fact that this history that i don't really know too much about uh, the, the manhattan project and and such like and the trouble that he had i didn't really um, know about it. So there was a, a, a decent biopic there. But uh, no, I, I thought this came out of it absolutely glowing with, um, with um, enthusiasm for it. Absolutely brilliant. Well, long though. Yes, that's a strong award-laden selection there. Thank you, Neil. Anyway, the one you're all waiting for, mine. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Okay. In fifth position, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 1. Now, I think these Mission Impossible movies have taken over from James Bond. I mean, they have real stunts, exciting plots, and this time they've even gone up there with an AI villain. So, totally topical, although I will say I miss Sean Harris and I hope he's back for the last one. But what's really clever about this film is it starts very high-tech, you know, that sequence with the Russian submarine. Mm. And come the end of it, they're on a train fighting on the roof of a train, something from silent cinema. They actually reverse how these sort of films were made. And I and and it hangs together. Another one with a three-hour running time here, Phil. Um, but it takes that time to develop the characters. It kills off a major character, which I did not expect. You know, it's part one, so there's part two coming. Although I am here and they're changing the title for part two and there will be no part two in the title. It's not like, say, Fast X, which just stops. This almost has like a a chapter break. So you've Mm. completed the first part of the story. You've got the overarching villain out there in an almost untouchable situation, but they have survived the first challenge. So it didn't drag. Great characters. It's everything that Bond should be, but seems to have forgotten that as well. It's really sad that thanks to Oppenheimer, essentially, although it's not Oppenheimer's fault, I suppose, it wasn't a box office hit because they lost out on the IMAX screens. Mm. A mistake I understand they're not going to do in 2025 when the final part of this is released. I'm hoping that in the meantime, this does build up the audience through... Yeah, through TV, through the streaming channels, and everybody will flock to the last one. But yeah, I loved it. Now, having said all that, it's not my action film of the year. That goes to my fourth place, John Wick Chapter 4. I think it bows out with the best of the series. Bit controversial, eggs. I know some of you are going to come in and say number one was the best. But after the disappointment of Chapters 2 and 3, which are essentially extended video games, This just restored my faith in modern action cinema. Amazing action sequences. Like, if you take three, three has a really good horseback sequence in the beginning and then just falls apart. This has four or five action sequences you can point to. And in any other film, they would be the standout. But in this, it builds to this incredible fight. Uh, Is it around the Arc de Triomphe in Paris? Yes. Um, you know, where they're dodging each other, dodging the cars, trying to hit each other. Uh, amazing. Um, and ends up 
then, after that, with almost an action pastiche of Laurel and Hardy's music box as he's trying to get up these stairs, <laughs> you know, which shouldn't work, but it does. And then on top of that, you can build in the characters. Obviously, Keanu Reeves is very settled into this character now, but you've got Donnie Yen as the blind assassin I thought was really good. But you've also got the best villain of all of the series in yeah. Bill Skarsgård. I mean, such a, a slimy, horrible character. And spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen it, how he gets his comeuppance is one of the most satisfying things I've seen in cinema this year. So you've got all of that. You've got meditations on life and death particularly as we move to the end of the film, because this is the last film. Um, yes, I know you're going to say the ballerina's coming out next year, but that's a flashback. And I love all the references to films like The Warriors. So mm. it has tension, it has excitement, it has great characters, it has depth to it. It's simply the action film of 2023. You'd be glad to hear that Jeff and I agree for once. Wow. It Terms of my ranking of so I thought if you'd said last year I, I would have expected the mission film to be my action movie of the year. But I, I agree with Jeff. I think John Wick Four is better than the mission film that came out this year and I I loved it. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I, I just loved the inventiveness of it. You know, it went, they went to Japan, they had that massive sort of fight in the in the the hotel in Japan. I loved the bit where they had the overhead uh, video game like fight that just blew me away because I'm watching this and I'm thinking, oh right, here's another fight, and then it's just suddenly the camera moves position and it, the whole thing just changed. And I thought, oh, proper cinema, proper cinema. There we go. I thought the villain was great. He starts off as evil and all of that, and in the end, you realise, no, this guy's just basically middle management. <laughs> it's just unbelievably crap at his job yeah i mean i thought it was okay i i disagree that it should be that high up the list really well for number three i'm gonna go a bit phil the whale darren aronofsky's film <laughs> i think this is aronofsky's finest film to date like many of his films phil's already shaking his head so i know that what's coming here he has a focus on family uh this time it's an estranged father making contact with his teenage daughter who he abandoned years ago course the twist in this is that he's a beast and dying which you learn pretty much in the opening minutes of the film yes okay he's used that theme before in the wrestler but i think this is much more effective there's a real anger hurt from all the characters around brendan frazier he's the one that's the almost passive force in this but you get to see his world in a way that really surprised me how he has set that apartment up to suit himself. And it's an astonishing tour de force from Brendan Frazier. I also like the fact that Aronofsky, this isn't an original work for him. This is based on a play. Rather than open it out, he's actually constricted it more, which makes you more claustrophobic with Brendan Frazier's character. I just thought that it was tremendous. I got into the characters, even to the the way it ends with this emotional powerhouse where it almost becomes abstract in the way he him and his daughter finally connect to me there's not a bad note in this film and i'm so pleased he won the oscar particularly after all the flack that the woke brigade were out there saying only fat people can do this film 
which I think is a real shame because, you know, you lose sight of the fact that it's about acting. And I, I thought Frasier, who's been gone for so long, to come back with something like this, absolutely amazing. And I will add to Phil's point earlier on um, Killers of the Flower Moon, I thought Frasier was really good in that as well. I know a lot of people mm. criticised him. But I think if you look at the way that lawyers acted at that time, I think Frasier captured it perfectly. So it's great to have him back. I missed him from films like Looney Tunes Back in Action. It's good that he's back here now. I'm really pleased that you've put that in your top five, Jeff, because it didn't quite make it into mine. And I think our listeners need to check out this film if they haven't already. Um, I, I actually got to a point where I couldn't see it in anyone's like you know these lots of end of year reviews at the moment i couldn't see it in anyone's list and I'm, i actually had to check the date because i was thinking was it 2022 it came out because mm. you know i was thinking why is it not in people's lists and i think because it was so long ago people have forgotten how good it was yeah um and it is an excellent film and i'm so pleased for our listeners sake that it's in there and that you've brought it up because it didn't quite make it into mine but i thought it had a real emotional heart and it, it had me sobbing and, uh, you know, and I just thought it was an absolutely brilliant film. I thought it was fantastic. And I thought um, the supporting cast as well, I know it was Brendan Fraser's film, but the supporting cast were excellent as well. Sadie Sink, uh, Samantha Morton, Hong Shao, all amazing. Mm. Right. So I went Phil for that. I'm now going to go the opposite of Phil for my number two, a man called Otto. <laughs> right. <laughs> Another character piece, director Mark Forster, who excels in small focus character dramas, things like Monster's Ball or The Kite Runner. And I think this, again, is another ensemble piece, but in a constricted society. And I was really surprised by it. I, I thought I was going to see something like As Good As It Gets, you know, the Nicholson character now being played by Tom Hanks. This is much more, and you learn that in the first couple of minutes as he's trying to commit suicide after buying the rope, which I thought was a brilliant sequence. He's a man <laughs> man with real problems. He channels a lot of Clint Eastwood in his performance, and I think 20 years previous, Eastwood would have could have played this part. I think he'd have been really good in it as well. Obviously not now. But through the flashbacks, they build up the layers of this character. How did he end up like this? And you see that there was another point in his life where he would have made these suicidal decisions. But because uh, he got into a relationship, although he's damaged and on the spectrum, it managed to see him through. But when his wife passes away, again, spoiler alert, but it is quite early in the film, it broke him to, to the degree of what he was doing. I would also say strong female performance from uh, Marina Trevino. I oh, she's brilliant. Thought it was amazing. But there are so many layers to this film. Uh, and I know it's a remake of uh, a Swedish film, but it looks at poverty. It looks at oppression of others. You can look at the overarching company, the real estate company that's exploiting everybody and certainly exploiting the poor and then breaking its own rules. I mean, it's a story of corporate America and even of corporate Britain as to where we are at the moment. It floored me this film when I saw it. Yeah, it's an emotional powerhouse, but there's a lot more to it. Hanks is tremendous. Mark Forster, he should stop making bigger budget films and just focus on these small movies yeah, because that's where his real strength is. And this, for me, was just amazing. How we got missed at the Oscars 
is a sad indictment of the woke brigade of today. It probably got missed because the original is so much better. Yeah. So uh, Man Called Ove um, was the original film starring uh, Rolf Lasgard, uh, who was excellent in the central performance. The original was set in Sweden rather than America, but it was a it was a I mean it's a fantastic book. First, uh, it was a brilliant book converted into an excellent film in only 2017. So it's not that long ago. Oh wow! Yeah, so th- that's the thing. It was quite a recent hit, obviously. Um, not in America, probably, but it was a recent hit that um, probably deserved to be remade for the American audience because they may, and for people like Jeff who can't read, um, to give him the opportunity <laughs> to watch a good story. Um, but yeah, um, if if you liked it, Jeff, and you decide you can read, I think you should definitely watch this. I'll go version. back and watch it, or, or maybe you could get the audio book. You know, uh, actually, that's a good call. So what I did while she was talking nonsense was I. <laughs> be gentle oh spirit of goodwill right okay fine i jumped to my website and uh thought i'd go to my review because i thought i would have written something that encapsulates it and and i've got a sentence uh, two sentences in my review which fill sums this this film up right and it's not that it's a bad film per se but so what i wrote was a man called otto is a thoroughly predictable film with nothing overtly special about it but it is also the sort of crowd-pleasing movie that will have everyone laughing and crying throughout. So for me, it's not fundamentally that it's a bad film. It's just that there's nothing interesting or special about it. Like there's plenty of other films that have grumpy old men that actually have a heart of gold in them. But And um, this is where the As Good As It Gets comes in. But what I didn't expect when I sat down to watch this is within five minutes of it starting, he's trying to hang himself. But you see, and I think that's very important, because when I watched it, I realised, oh, this is from a Swedish film, or it's a remake of a Swedish film. Now, Sweden has the worst suicide record in Europe. In fact, one of my favourite Swedish bands was called Dead by Christmas, because that's what teenage kids used to say, oh, I'll be dead by Christmas. So um, there is a, a very, very dark element to this. And the fact that the first thing you see in the movie is him arguing with somebody about paying for rope. He's still arguing with them because he doesn't want to pay too much, but he's going to hang himself five minutes later with this rope. It's I thought that was just wonderful. And I really want to see the, the Swedish version now because I'm sure it would be really dark. Yeah, maybe this dub version out. <laughs> It's a Jeff lives in hope. Okay, so let's go to my number one then. Right, you ready for this then? Air. You ask me what I do here. This is what I do. I find you players, and I feel it this time. Okay, it's risky. When you were selling sneakers out of the back of your Plymouth, that was risky. Don't change that now. For a rookie? Yes. Who's never set foot on an NBA court. That's the literal definition of rookie. Yeah. What's the plan? We build a shoe line around just him. I need the greatest basketball shoe that's ever been made. Who's the player? Michael Jordan. Oh, wow. Even even Darren's subversion of, of this film, with a fascinating review, which did make me look at it slightly differently, didn't spoil it for me. It took me by surprise completely. I don't know who Michael Jordan is. I'd seen him in Space Jam, but that's about it. I know next to nothing about basketball. So when it starts and they start and quote figures at me, I think, oh, this is going to be like Moneyball, which I enjoyed, but I didn't love. As it develops, you start to see what the film's really about. It's about 
teamwork and you've got this person played by Matt Damon. I mean, Matt Damon, like Tom Hanks, they are two of the last movie stars out there. I mean, Matt Damon could easily step into the Jimmy Stewart type role. I think he's an everyman character and he brings it across. Well, in this case, he's playing a guy who has no life outside of looking for future basketball stars to try and develop this shoe division of Nike, which in basketball terms at that point in the 80s was failing. Then he has this almost epiphany of we're going to put all our eggs in one basket and he brings people along with him. I mean, Jason Bateman, Jason Bateman to me is an okay actor. I, I, I'm not a great fan of his movies. He's never been better in, than he is in this film. And his monologue talking about giving up the time to work on this when he should be seeing his daughter was phenomenal. Ben Affleck, again, who also directs the film, just great. You know, and he plays the comic moments brilliantly in this movie. But it's all about that teamwork and the fact that they don't show Michael Jordan for whether it's artistic or financial reasons, I never quite got to the bottom of. Uh, but it doesn't matter. You know, it takes you into that era through its music, its montages. It's funny. It's intelligent. And I came away, felt a better person after watching it. And I, and I felt uplifted. So, yeah, for me, this is the film of the year. Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed this film, Jeff. I'm, I'm surprised it's your number one, to be honest. But I'm I'm sort of not surprised it's in your top five because um, it is an enjoyable film and um, I think Darren mentioned it in the last review so there seems to be a trend on these type of films isn't there especially this year because you've had Dumb Money and Blackberry as well which is sort of mm. so there's sort of true life a bit of nostalgia so it's, uh, it's looking back um, so the soundtracks tend to be very good on these type of films well made entertaining with comic moments in but but interesting as well because like everyone you spend your time when you come out of the film looking it up and trying to find out more on the subject because some of it you can't believe because it seems too unbelievable and you're, you realise that's the bits that are true and it's normally the the other bits that aren't true. But, yes, it's a, it's a really entertaining story and I think if any of our listeners haven't seen it, they should watch Air. I also like the others as well. I did like Blackberry and I did like Dumb Money as well, so I think they've all been fairly decent films this year. And Tetris as well. Oh, and Tetris, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah I thought that was great. And I also think it was good marketing by Prime. You know, they'd made it to go on there, but they decided to put it in cinemas first. So it doesn't matter. It didn't make its money back in cinemas, but it doesn't matter because it's essentially free advertising for its uh, for its prime service. I really enjoyed this film. It's not necessarily something that I would have, you know, in a top 10. It was on my long list of about 35 films you know, as the year went on. The one thing I was going to say, which I you didn't mention, which is absolutely the best part of the film, was Chris Messina. He was hilarious. He was oh, yes. he was the agent yes. who basically yeah, had no, like that, verbal yeah. battles with him yeah. on the phone. He was just yeah. geniusly funny, yeah. like just brilliantly funny. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed this one. It's a really good watch. It's that thing, isn't it, where where it's like most enjoyable film or best film, and that's where yeah, I'm kind yeah. Of like, no, it, it's about. if I take away something from it, you know, if it, it really sparks something, that's that for me is what gives it that something special. And I sat in the cinema watching this. I didn't expect a great deal. As it started, I thought it was going to go one way. It then just turns 180 on me. I was just bought into it, bought into everything they were doing. And, you know, this is how teams work. You enjoy it, Graham? I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And and because it, yeah, I know it's uh, pretty stupid and shallow, but... They came out with phrases that I used all my working life, like 
how can you be in IT and not understand IT? It was one thing that I used to say yeah, constantly. Because the number of... <laughs> how do you work in that? And he said about how can you be in the basketball division and not like basketball or not understand basketball or not live, breathe it and those sorts of things. So, yeah, it, it it rang so true for me about a lot of things. and the, the way things get done in companies, you know, and it was a bit unbelievable when he did his big speech. But, yeah, I, there were some things that I really loved. And the bit that I really liked was when Matt Damon explained to uh, Jordan's mother exactly how the other companies were going to approach her. And and she laughed it off. And then she goes to the first meeting. I think it was with Adidas. And it was exactly as he said it would be. And I thought, yeah, know your market, know your competition. And he did. Okay. As Darren said, it's about rich people getting richer, but it's entertainment. I'm not a communist. Yeah. So, you know. Okay. So that's mine. Graham, you're up. Okay. Well, at... Um, Number five, I've got The Three Musketeers, D'Artagnan, the French remake of Dumas' famous book. And this is going to be a proper trilogy. And this was actually recommended to me by Darren in one of his um, video store shows. And he said, oh, it's, it's really different. It's really good. I sat down to watch it with my wife and I thought, oh, I hope this is not going to play for laughs. And within 10 minutes, I was totally hooked. Jeff won't like it because it's got all those little symbols at the bottom. I think it's called subtitles. You have to read them. (laughs) There's no dubbed version. This is a French production made by a French company. Selfish. They make Uh, no concessions to people like me. (laughs) And it's got Eva Green is in it uh, as Milady, and it just rattles along. However, it's a lot deeper than any other Musketeers film I've watched. And it's very, very true to the book. Uh, And all the intrigue and I was almost going to say corporate espionage, but the uh, religious espionage, how the the fanatical Catholics are using the Protestants in La Rochelle as a way to try and get the king to go to war with England and how they're constantly manoeuvring things around it comes out very, very strongly. So it's a bit like The Three Musketeers joins the West Wing in parts. It's really good, really interesting. And I thoroughly loved it. And it's one of the few films where we watched it on a Friday night. We both agreed it was great. And we watched it again on a Saturday night because there were lots of things. So much was happening that we couldn't read fast enough. This this film is the the Graham and Darren show because neither D'Artagnan or Milady is had a cinema release near me and it's not available to stream as far as I'm aware. It's either, on, so um, I haven't seen this. You need to talk to it's somebody. On, it's on No TV. It's just come on. <laughs> well worth a watch. Well worth a watch. Very dark. Number four is John Wick Chapter Four, and I've already spoken about this, and I just loved it. And I, I'm with Jeff on this one. After two and three. I thought, oh, I really struggled and, and dragged myself along to this and was just thoroughly and completely entertained. Yes, it's very silly. Yes, it's most of it's nonsense. And yeah, I always order any suit I'm having made. I always order a tactical lining. But it's, <laughs> yeah, it's it, it was good. And I liked 
they added a lot in this film. So the, the apart from the excellent villain, they also added this guy called the Tracker, and I thought he was fun and good. He was he he was playing. Uh, the environment for every penny he could get out of it. All he was interested in was money. So um, he was nice and fresh and interesting uh, and different. And the the fight with the martial arts guy in the fat suit, I was just in hysterics. I thought that was just so well done because it was they completely sold me the dummy. I thought this was going to be sort of like the big fat guy would get his henchmen to beat him up, and suddenly the big fat guy turns out to be a martial artist and beats the living daylights out of uh, John Wick. And it was very, very good. So there, that was my, that's my Are number Are you entitled four. to say big fat guy anymore? Yeah, yeah, you can call him a big fat guy because it was a big fat suit. He wasn't. He wasn't a no. big fat guy. All right. Well, we've covered that in in depth anyway, so that's fine. Number three, and we cover this one: Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning. Again, I really enjoyed this. I I enjoyed the way all of the typical components of a Mission Impossible film got stripped away. So uh, by the end, they were just down to jumping off stuff and fighting on trains, and it was great. Back to motorbikes and fast cars. Really, really good. Excellent. I like the the fact that the AI was, you know, way ahead of them. So they just had to do everything in an unpredictable manner. So it's a it's an excellent film, and I think more and more people are going to see it on um, on streaming and are just going to really enjoy it. Yeah, they've been down in South Africa filming uh, the final part, so I did a lot of that last year. Mm. So yeah, no, looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. Okay, next one. And this is my guilty secret, really. It's uh, Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, which I enjoyed far too much. I um, Way back in 1977, when I moved from Northern Ireland to Bristol, um, I had a mate who was a big war gamer, and he introduced me to this weird and wacky little game called Dungeons and Dragons. We used to sit and play this all the time, and it took me right back to sitting in my mate Padge's um, room at uni, uh, smoking dope and playing. Um, <laughs> only for playing medicinal purposes, listeners. Exactly, exactly. It's now legal in certain states. So I was living there. Yeah. Uh, in my head anyway. Um, I just thought it was bonkers and fun and it captured the essence of the game. And the villain in this one, well, whilst I said the, the villain in John Wick was excellent, the villain in this was hilarious. And I after Paddington, Hugh Grant was just brilliant as the sort of hapless, useless, completely uh, over-the-top villain. And I am absolutely convinced he was playing Boris yeah. Johnson. Yeah, yeah, no. I'm yeah, because sure. he just had the same sort of <laughs> the same sort of mannerisms. Yeah. And and it's so inventive. I mean, that business, you know, when they they're digging up the bodies and they can ask them three questions. <laughs> So yeah, that's how, and yeah. and yet you compare this with Warcraft from a couple of years ago, which just oh, didn't true. didn't work. There was no you know if you don't know it, and I didn't know it either of them. There's no way into Warcraft. This brings you in. Chris Pine's great. Uh, Hugh Grant's great. It's it yeah. It, it's it is. I've got to agree. It's a wonderful film. 
yeah i i really enjoyed it and i've i i've got it on uh, on on um video on demand as well i paid money to buy it i just thought it was great and i hope they make some more because it, it's definitely one that could be turned into a franchise it's just great and they have some great characters in it i also enjoyed that there was a weird little scene where the warrior girl goes back to see her husband oh, and yeah, he's, yeah. he's, he's, a, yeah. he's a halfling and he, but he's got this thing for giantess women <laughs> and i thought okay and nobody mentions it it just happens and you go and it's all in your head and you're thinking what the hell yeah, very funny. Very good. Yeah, nice nice one from left field there. And number one, obviously, science nerd Oppenheimer, which I thought was just absolutely brilliant. And I was in rapture from beginning to end. And, you know, it is men in room chatting about science. What, what more could you ask for? <laughs> it was great. Absolutely great. And... I read the book, um, and Christopher Nolan, you talk about him jumping around in time. He jumps all over that book. You know, he picks pieces out of the very start. He picks pieces that pass me by, really. I thought, well, that's interesting, but uh, that's not going to be in the film. And it was. And, yeah, I thought um, the only disappointment was Florence Pugh's character, which is slightly weak because she is fascinating in the book. Um, but yeah, I thought it was really well done, really well done. And he is a master filmmaker. And yeah, just from beginning to end, I was just hanging on every word. And I've seen that as twice I said as earlier. Well. I can't wait to see what he's going to do next. Oh, what a god! Yeah, probably be a musical, and that'll be it. <laughs> Well, I'd like him to do a Western, but that's another story. Okay, well, that's uh, another fascinating five and definitely a great one out of left field there. Thank you, Graham. Dick, you're up. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, there's probably going to be a lot of repetition, so it probably won't take me as long to get through my top five because um, there's a lot of similar themes from uh, everyone else's lists. Um, at number five, I've got Mission Impossible. Um, uh, we've all said everything. Um, I just want to add on to the top that it probably has got one of the best uh, car chase sequences in any movie. Uh, I think it was absolutely, you think how many car chases have you seen? You think they can't possibly do something new, but they managed it. And I thought, um, I thought that was fantastic. And, and that's why it's like the, you know, it's the bond of this generation. Yeah, no, I, I get that analogy. I do get it because it's, they are, they are very inventive in all this, in all the sequences they do. Um, they don't, they don't just go bigger like some people do with sequels, they actually do well-thought-out scenes. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, they go smarter, don't they? Yeah. Um, so my number four is Past Lives. Past Lives, to me, is a it's a small little film, but it, it's really hard-hitting, really thought-provoking, very original, um, which are all the qualities I love in a movie. You did have to read because it's subtitled, but and I'm so glad I saw it. I was looking forward to it right from the moment I saw the trailer, uh, the film didn't quite go the way I thought it would in the trailer, um, which is, again, why I loved it, because I watched the trailer thinking, oh, I know what's going to happen in this, and it didn't. Uh, and that was another quality that I love, is that you can't predict what's going to happen. A thoroughly good little film. And I know it wasn't in the cinemas for very long, but hopefully it will get the audience on streaming that it deserves. Yeah, it's out there on streaming now. So uh, Yeah, you've got to watch it, Jeff. I am going to watch it. Really my cool. one 
second thing I'm going to have to do after what both you and Darren said is I'll watch her on my own without my wife there because I, from everything you said, she's really not going to enjoy it. But yeah, I will watch it. Yeah, I've got it down in my notes as a double bill with In the Mood for Love. Yes, well. oh, that's, that's definitely a shout out for that as well. If no one's seen In the Mood for Love, it's probably one of my all time best films ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You might need to, uh, you might need to like have some like adrenaline or something after those two. You'd be like, Balling your eyes out. (laughs) Okay, right. Um, Thank you for the warning. (laughs) Okay, um, my number three, uh, we've we've all mentioned it before, is Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, And I think the only reason it beat past lives into position three was because I'm still shocked at, for such a long film, how it didn't feel like a long film and how I didn't need to go to the toilet halfway through because <laughs> it had me that gripped. And I wasn't expecting that. It, it wasn't the same for The Irishman. I did actually give in halfway through The Irishman. But yeah, no, I thought it was a thoroughly good film. And I think that's what pushed it up a place was the fact that I can't believe how good a film it was for that long a film, that there weren't any... Lo- normally in a film that long, you'll get a low point. You'll get a point that you think, oh, actually, they could have taken that 20-minute mm. section out or something. I still now can't think what they would have taken out. I wasn't a huge fan of the end, as I mentioned before, but I don't think they could have really taken it out. They could have they could have replaced it, I suppose, with just words coming up on the screen. But I thought it was a thoroughly, thoroughly good film. And, and as everyone's already said, the cast were incredible and fantastic. And I'm sure it's going to do well at the awards. I can't imagine it. So if you had to pick well. one performance as a standout, Phil, pick Robert De Niro, who would you pick? I think Robert De Niro again, I think. Number two, then? Number two is uh, Anatomy of a Fool. Anatomy of a Fool is basically there's a, a, a victim at the start, there's a prime suspect, and that prime suspect uh, ends up going to court uh, being accused. So you've got the defence and the prosecution. Um, and so you're following her and, and the actress who, I can't remember her name now, who it was, is absolutely phenomenal. Um, she's brilliant. And I think she has to be because if you don't, if she's not believable, you the film wouldn't work. So you're followed th- through her and so you see the the police uh, investigator you see her talking to her lawyer you see it going to court so it's constantly her I think she's probably in every scene pretty much you have to make up your mind as to whether you think she's guilty or not and that's the whole premise of the film and I just think it's it's ex- executed so well and I think her performance is so good that you just question yourself all the way through it and I love that about a film I love that that you know it's it's a very simple story uh, it is not a huge plot. Uh, you're not going to fantastic locations or anything. There's no action scenes in it, but it, it just had me gripped. And it just, and it's one of those films that had me thinking about it even weeks later. And that's what is I love. Is it an American film? I think okay. it's a French film because, yeah. Yeah, it's Sandra Uller is yeah. the um, the main actress. Isn't she German? Yeah, but this is it. This is because they speak French, German and English because she comes from Germany has met him who's French mm. and they move, or they moved to London. You don't see this. This is obviously mentioned in the film. They moved to London and they speak a lot of English because it was the language they both could understand. You know, one was French, one was German. The English was sort of like the middle ground. Um, I think she's German because she was in Tony Erdman, which was the yes, German she, film. She is. She's German. Although she has worked in Austrian, American, British and French films. Yeah. So cause... thank you, Wikipedia. So this is, uh, I really, really want to see this film, but um, because you know, it is up there. But she's in The Zone of Interest as well, which is another film I really want to see. 
So the zone of interest and this anatomy of a fall both talked about is like best films of the year. Neither have released near me. I so it's a case of can I sort of sort of try and catch them as soon as possible, really. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you'd lose it. I don't think this film would lose anything even on a small screen because it hasn't, it's all very personal. It hasn't got the big wide epic shots. So I think it would be just as enjoyable on a TV as it would be in the cinema. Right. Well, there's another left fielder then, that one. Um, what's next, Nick? And my number one is the same as everyone else's. I think it's Oppenheimer. Um, and the, other than what everyone else has said already, I think one of the reasons I loved this film was looking around the audience when I was watching it, because given the subject matter, you'd think there'd be a, a certain type of person watching it. You'd think it would probably be a slightly older person, maybe more scientific watching it. But when I went to cinema, there were all age groups. There were men and women. There was It was a healthy mix. And I, and I just thought, wow, only Christopher Nolan can get a subject matter like that with such a wide breadth of audience in there. I mean, it was probably helped by the fact that Barbie was on at the same time, because I think sometimes, as I found myself, is that when you went to book one, it was so sold out, you ended up going to the other. So I think it probably benefited from being on at the same time, and there probably were people that went to that that might not have done. But what a fantastic film. And also, I mean, give a shout-out, mainly because of my son as well, but give a shout-out to the sound. I mean, the sound on the film was... Yes. One of the reasons you have to watch Oppenheimer in a cinema is the sound was was phenomenal was just out of this world it had it it put the hairs on your arms up you know it was just it was fantastic yeah jeff was saying in our discussion with paul rincon that you the the actual explosion we've all seen it what he relied on was the actual physical presence of the the shock wave as it hit the the observers just unbelievable and i think it was really good that it was released in the summer for that reason because a lot of us were wearing t-shirts and shorts and it definitely the hairs stood up whereas <laughs> if it'd been in the winter it might not have experienced that's a good that. point that's a really good point okay thank you very much uh, darren over to you looking forward to this one what we got okay so uh, number five um, i've gone for the greatest days uh, which was uh, oh amusing. jesus <laughs> I should, I should point out, I always go for my favourites, not what I think is technically the best. I go for favourites, so that's, that's where, the that's where oh, I like yeah, yeah. from. I'm, I'm not, I am not yeah, saying that Greatest yeah, Days yeah. is better than Killers of the Flower Moon or Oppenheimer. I'm saying it was my favourite <laughs> of them, my fifth favourite. Um, so, anyway, going back to the film, the, this is basically a, a musical Based around the uh, the music of Take That, it's about a, a group of girls who basically it flits back and forth between a group of girls when they were young going to see their favourite band uh, and then later on they have a reunion when they get to go on the reunion tour. I, I just thought this film was just so much fun. The, the, um, the, the songs and the dance numbers and everything were just so well done. They were done with it with a way that you don't get a lot nowadays. Uh, and also, I have to say that any film that basically makes me cry automatically gets pushed up out my list of favourites. And this one at the end did really sort of make me cry. Uh, but yeah, I just thought it was a fabulous film. It's so much fun. And yeah, so I absolutely loved it. And I thought this was like a sure hit that basically this was one that uh, the Barbie thing where basically would just get people like nostalgic for take that and all the there'd be loads of groups of women going it but it was like there for about a week and it wasn't promoted there were very few screenings and it just went straight to Amazon Prime and I don't get it because this was like a really you know 
this this was a fantastic film in, in my opinion this this film was a fantastic and you don't get a lot of musicals like this nowadays what was it called again greatest sorry days. it's on prime greatest days yeah um We've recently put out a Darren's Video Store episode. You'll find it a couple of episodes back. And there, Darren goes into a bit more detail about um, the strengths of this film. And that, again, it's a really good listen. Number four is another film that I actually mentioned on my Video Store uh, podcast. And this is uh, Bottoms. And this was a absolutely gloriously anarchistic uh, comedy uh, it's basically about a, a, a couple of uh, lesbians at school who, in order to basically get a chance of dating cheerleaders, they, they basically set up a self-defence club, uh, which basically puts them uh, to, in uh, at odds with the, uh, with the local uh, football team. Uh, this and this was just a just a really fun, really funny comedy, um, and just so. Slightly surreal at times, the fact that you had a um, the football team members all walking around with a football gear the entirety of the film, even though they were in class. Just little things like that were just you know just completely sort of off the wall. Uh, the, the characters were great. It was, it was just a really funny film. It was also a refreshing film that it, it basically was progressive and promoted diversity without it really bashing you over the head with it. It was sort of, that was like, you know, there was a bit of subtext there, which, again, is quite sort of um, whacking in, in a lot of films, obviously. But that, I absolutely love this film. It was uh, you know, fun from beginning to end and had one of the great uh, comedy gang fights, uh, probably the best one since um, Anchorman, I have to say, to finish off. But, yeah, this... Okay. Again, this was a film that was, like, there and gone within about a week, but really worth checking out. Is it currently on any streaming service? Uh, I don't think it is yet. Um, it, it might be available to like rent as a download, but it, it won't. It won't be long because it was uh, uh, about a month ago. It was at the cinema, so it it will be there soon. It'll probably, hopefully, it will get a new lease of life there. Excellent. Uh, okay. So, so number three um, was the uh, the Three Musketeers D'Artagnan. Which is the the first in two films uh, of of the uh, the the Musketeers uh, uh, story, and this was just again this was just really refreshing. For a start, it was actually in French, so it basically was an authentic take on the Three Musketeers. And unlike a lot, and I I actually love the Three Musketeers story. I you know, and I think what I liked about this one is. Whereas a lot of when we revisit um, properties like this nowadays, they tend to basically try and um, give them sort of like matrix style fight scenes and have like airships and things like that to basically make them a bit more modern. This was basically back, you know, went back to basics. It was very authentically of the sort of the Three Musketeers period, but it was massively exciting. The fight scenes were great. The you know the sword fights were great. And uh, yeah, this was just, it just felt like this was like a sort of a throwback to that sort of, um, you know, no nonsense swashbuckling adventure. But they just felt sort of, you know, really authentic and down to earth. Even though this film came out earlier this year, the uh, the sequel is already out. Uh, it's called uh, The Three Musketeers Milady. And uh, yeah, so, so yeah, so this is basically like a really epic story. Ava Green, by the way, played um, Milady in this, and she was absolutely fantastic. She was great ta- uh, casting. But yeah, that, um, yeah, The Three Musketeers, um, the first one, absolutely loved. 
Also, um, if you want to get more details from Darren on this film, again, please check out Darren's video store episode. There's a lot more on that film. Uh, so number two um, is uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And even though at Marvel at the moment is, let's say, even the most ardent fan would, would say they've kind of had some sort of hiccups and the kind of the franchise is kind of wobbling in terms of quality. It's proof that basically when you have sort of a figurehead there who's basically given you know, the, the rein to, to do what he, he wants, you can still get really great stuff like this. For, for me, the, the Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy, which it now is, is basically one of the highlights of the, the whole MCU. It's a great story that's basically just sort of has a, a, a great backstory of family and friendships and camaraderie. This one, I think with this one, people were expecting like a, a Blake Seven style um, massacre to finish it off. And unfortunately, we didn't get that. We got instead just a very moving, separating of the ways as they all go off in a separate direction. Um, very dark movie in places. Uh, you know, Rocket's backstory was you know in, incredibly dark and disturbing. But it was just a great way to send off this um, this series. And you see how far the characters have come. The, the thing about Marvel Comics has always been the story arcs and the redemption and how characters grow. And this one, you've got how where they were when they started this trilogy to where they are now. I think that this has basically just been a, the highlight of the, the MCU. And yeah, and this story... It was everything that you wanted from a Guardians movie, uh, you know, all the sort of the music, the the action. I I, ju I just really loved it, and proof that you know Marvel can still, you know, the magic is still there. It just needs you know someone to focus on it and, and bring it back, basically. But yeah, I absolutely love this. A great send off. And uh, my uh, my number one movie of the year, uh, and basically because it affected me so emotionally was uh, past lives there's a word in korean inyon it means providence or fate do you believe in that that's just something koreans say to seduce someone i just think this was an absolutely fantastic film which was basically the complexity of uh, relationships, balance with friendships, there was so much going on here. And it was really a film that basically, it, it just, it was a really well-told story just about people and, and, and their lives and sort of, you know, that sort of, the, the, how love can be so difficult. And, you know, when sort of like, you know, when life gets in the way, and it's it's just a, an amazing movie, amazingly uh, moving. And I, I just, it's it's one of those films that you think, why is this film so good? Because it is just a film about people and, and their relationships. But it was just sort of told so well. And just, you know, for me, this is one that will just, I think, will live with me for a long time. There's very few films that I see nowadays when I think, yeah, that's in my top 100 favourite films of all time. But this one... After a couple of years of reflection, I think when I look back, this will definitely be in there. Just a, just a fantastic movie. Yes, I'm looking forward to seeing that one now, even though I believe I have to read for it. <laughs> so, I, But I will watch it. It's in foreign, yeah. Jeff. <laughs> You'll have to suffer for your art. Yeah. No, no, after the what, what you and um, Deck have said about it, I'm going to have to watch it. Darren, that's an excellent choice. Thank you very much for that. Okay. 
So let's move on to the films of the year. And now the moment you've all been waiting for. The combined films of the year for the At The Flicks top seven. And they are... It was a joint seventh, actually. Uh, in seventh position, you got the, I could not divide them up. So I had to put both of them in. John Wick Chapter 4 and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Both come in. Number seven. At six, we will put in uh, a bit of Jimmy Savile, uh, you know, or Tony Blackburn countdown if you want. to go ahead, But whatever. Okay. No, uh, at six, The Three Musketeers, D'Artagnan. At five, wow. eh. At four, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part One. In third place, Past Lives. In second place, Killers of the Flower Moon. And number one, Oppenheimer, which means Phil picked the top two yet again. I think he did it last year as well. What can I say? Good taste, right? Yeah, he's just so in tune with the zeitgeist. (laughs) That is our top seven films for 2023. I'm sure you'll all agree with me. But if you don't, let's move on. So, gentlemen, I can safely announce that's a wrap and another At The Flicks is in the can. Sadly, we haven't mentioned Listener Frank much this year. (laughs) And I'd keep it that way for 2024. Harsh. And to everyone else, thanks for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.